Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, and the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are away. When you lie down and when you rise, bind them as a sign on your hand and fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates and on your gates. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I had made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant they broke, though I was a covenant they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Eric. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will forgive their inequity and remember their sin no more. If that is not good news, I don't know what is. Our our centering scripture for today, our two scripture passages that we just heard Eric read today, um, I think fall in line with our centering scripture. And they're centering for a reason. They help us to center our lives and our faith and our walk on the things that matter most to God. Now, when I was in about the fourth or the fifth grade, a group of friends and I would take our bikes every day to this place in the woods where there had been just enough clearing of the trees and the vegetation where a bunch of bored and broke city kids could build their own bike jump park. Just a bunch of ramps made out of dirt. Now, by the time my friends and I had arrived, the work had already been started by a generation of older kids. And there were seven or eight bike jumps, ramps of various sizes and difficulty levels that would tempt us every day to try our non-existent skills and to press our luck. Now, today, my kids can go to YouTube if they want to learn just about anything. So if they wanted to learn how to jump one of these kinds of ramps, they could just go to YouTube, watch a video, learn something really quick, and then have at it. But that wasn't an option in my childhood. All we had to go on was a few movies that my friends and I watched and loved, maybe some tips from this BMX magazine that someone had, sheer stupidity, And the fact that we knew we were doing this together and we had each other's backs should someone get hurt. And someone always got hurt. 
because we didn't know what we were doing after all. We had no idea. We had no skills. We certainly weren't using the right kind of bikes or equipment. And in addition to this being before YouTube, this was also before the time where helmets and padding were commonplace. We were a bunch of fools, but we had so much fun doing this. Now, one particular jump was like the biggest of them all, and that would be our daily challenge. Who would be brave enough on any given day to try to jump this one ramp? And the the route to this ramp began with, with a dirt path that backed all the way up to a guardrail, a graffitied guardrail, that separated the woods from the sidewalk and the highway, because this was Philadelphia after all. And we'd drag our bikes up this big hill and we'd start at the top. And then, as we went down, the hill gave us just enough speed and momentum to bypass our fear or common sense. And before we knew it, we were committed to that steep face jump that would then launch us into the air over this dugout fire pit and hopefully to the other side of this ramp where we had hoped to land intact. And sometimes that actually happened. Once we started down that hill though, ready or not, we were committed. And today we are continuing in our commitments that will change your life sermon series. We're talking about what it means to not just be involved, but to be committed. And today specifically, we're talking about the commitment to the Bible, to studying, to understanding the word of God, not just individually, but also with other people, two or three other people, perhaps in a small group. When we were at the bike jumps, It was the fact that we were doing it together, that we were there with friends. It was the familiarity we had with the course over time. It was the speed and the momentum that we could pick up if we were willing to drag our bikes up a big hill, to maybe see things from a different perspective, to have a little bit of faith, and to encourage one another to be brave when we might not have had that courage if we were on our own. And if you think about it, that isn't really that dissimilar to what we're asking when we're involved in a small group, when we share our life in the study of Scripture with one another. To be brave, to have a little faith, to do hard things, to face it together. Why is this commitment so important to us, this commitment to the Bible? Well, the Bible is our primary source of theology. It's incredibly important in the life of Christians and in the life of the church. It always has been. Only for the first 1,500 years in the church's history, the Bible wasn't accessible to everyday Christians. Many people were not literate. And the Bible probably wasn't even in their language at the time anyway. The Pope, for that period in time, was the final authority on matters of biblical interpretation, theological reflection, tradition, faith, and moral teachings. However, this never happened in a vacuum. 
This biblical interpretation didn't happen in a vacuum. When there were issues going on in society or within the church, the church would call these large councils and they would gather and they would debate and dialogue and discuss and reflect on God's word and God's will for their period in history. And then decisions were made and these decisions would trickle down. And then the clergy or the professional religious class week to week would interpret scripture in light of these teachings and the other tools that they had at the time. And they would teach in mass or other, um, other vehicles for Christian education. And your everyday Christian would learn really only what they were taught. But ever since the printing press made mass production of books possible, and since the Bible began becoming um, in, translated into the language of the reader, and then a little bit later in the age of the Enlightenment, when we were invited to bring reason and logic into our thinking, all of those things happening over a course of time changed and shifted the conversations around the Bible. Who should it be accessible to? Who is able to read it and interpret it? How should we be using it? These conversations changed in light of the transformations that were happening in society. Now this history is not just a lesson of the past. It's important for us to understand who we were as one church before all of these divisions began to happen. And it's important for us to understand what has been handed to us in terms of biblical interpretation and biblical authority. If we are to make sense of where we stand in this present moment and where God might be leading us. Just like it's important for you, perhaps, to understand where you come from in your family history or tradition or lineage, what has been passed on to you. And then you can stand in the current day and time and make sense of where you are and perhaps where you need to be going. Because God, I believe, is clearly leading the church someplace new. I hope that this is evident by now. I believe that it's all around us. And yet that doesn't mean that God has changed. It doesn't mean that the purpose of the church has changed. And it doesn't mean that the Bible as our primary source of theology has changed. Rather, it just means that God is doing a new thing in our midst. Scripture tells us that. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. And we are all invited to be part of the new thing God is doing right in our day and time. And this commitment to Bible study individually and in small groups will undoubtedly be an integral part of this leg in the journey for the church in history. It is a commitment that changes lives, that has changed lives, and that will continue to change lives as we move forward. Now, as an aside, today is October 31st. Does anyone know what today is? Halloween. Any other takers? Yes. Sunday. It is Sunday. It is, it is Halloween. It is Sunday. There we go, right? For most, for most normal people, today is Halloween. But for a few, for a handful of us weird church types, we also know that today is what is known as Reformation Day. And this is the day that it is believed that Martin Luther, who was a Catholic priest, 
nailed his 95 Theses to the doors of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. And Martin Luther, if we look back then in hindsight, was what the church now writes down in history as the beginning of, of what we call the Protestant Reformation. So it's his Reformation Sunday. How does that relate to the commitment to the Bible? Well, one of the key tenets of the Reformation was sola scriptura, in scripture alone. What, what Martin Luther was trying to do was place an emphasis on scripture above some of the traditions, and he was in the middle of a revival. Behold, I'm doing something new. God is always doing something new. So, I believe in our day and time, God is asking us to dig a little deeper when it comes to this commitment to the Bible and this commitment to one another as we study it. I believe God is asking us to ask questions like, what is the Bible? How did we get it? How did it initially come together? How did we get our understanding of it today? What is the Bible asking of us, demanding from us? I believe God is inviting us to ask other questions. What has been handed to us that has shaped our personal view of Scripture? I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I was handed a tradition. If you were raised in a Pentecostal tradition or a Baptist tradition or a Lutheran tradition or a Presbyterian tradition or no tradition at all, you had been handed something from which you take and you make sense of and you move forward with. I believe God is asking us to do that hard work because most of the arguments that we're seeing in the church today are not really... This is Pastor Monica. I don't believe that people are arguing about the thing that they think they're arguing about. Just like in all of our relationships, we're often, sometimes we're arguing about the thing we're arguing about. Like sometimes really the socks on the floor really do bother us and, you know, that's the thing. But very often, the things that we're arguing about are not the actual thing that's under the surface. And so I believe a lot of the debates that are happening in the church today are matters of truth and authority and ultimate wisdom and discernment. In other words, they're matters of the Bible and the biblical authority and how that is to be understood and interpreted and used. So this is important for us, not just as a history lesson, but for our day and age. What is the Bible? Well, I mean, the Bible is, is a complex, wonderful, divinely inspired disturbing at times, confusing at others, and sometimes even contradictory compilation of personal letters, of history, of poems and songs and praise and laments, and of prophetic witness of God speaking through the prophets that ultimately directs us to the place where our scriptures for today told us. The Bible is this divinely inspired compilation of ancient writings that direct us to love the God who created us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says this is so important that we need to love, the God, love our God with all of ourselves. It's so important that you should write it on your foreheads, attach it to different parts of your body, put it at the, at the gates of the town, put it on your doors wherever you need to be reminded to love our God, and to love our neighbors who are companions on this human journey. Our other two scriptures remind us of that. That's the Bible. 
But oftentimes, we want it to act like a magic eight ball. We want to be able to open it up and for it to tell us exactly what to do in any given circumstance. Or we want it to operate like an instruction manual that will give us step-by-step instructions on how to fix any specific malfunction that we might be experiencing on our human journey. But I don't believe the Bible can be simplified like that. I don't believe that it's really either of those two things. And if I had to sum up what the Bible is in one sentence, I would say this, that the Bible is the written word of God that points us to, that directs us to the eternal word of God. The Bible is words on a page that come alive through the Spirit that direct us to the eternal word of God, who is Jesus Christ, who is God become flesh, walked among us, taught among us, healed among us. The eternal, the written word that points us to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we read and we pray over and we discern Scripture by ourselves and with one another so that we can hear a word of God. God, what is the way? What is the truth? What is the life? What? Show us some wisdom and point us in all of our matters of faith and life. When we commit to the study of of the Bible, both of our scripture passages for today, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Jeremiah 31, they remind us of something that I encourage you to remember every time you open the Bible and you find it confusing or contradictory um, or, or otherwise frustrating and you don't know what to do with it. Our scriptures remind us that humankind has a dismal and often disastrous record of trying to keep God's laws and God's covenant. And God already knows this. God already knew that, speaking through the prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years before Christ. So when we open scripture and we're not really sure what to make, Jeremiah 31 should calm us, should center us, because in it, it says that I will put my law within them, I will write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. God's promise was to write his ultimate commands on our hearts so that we would always know them, that they would always be accessible to us. And when we study scripture together in groups, we're offered the opportunity to test that, to call it out from each other, to test it against what we know to be true about God. When we read and study and pray, we have this blessed assurance That our God who created us loves us, sees us, and wants nothing more than for us to love him and one another in return. That is the ultimate goal of Bible study. That's the ultimate goal of God's covenant. It's why it's a commitment that will change your life. It will change the world. It's radical. It's life-altering. And while we can and should do Bible study on our own, and have our own devotional time, just like other areas of our life, we experience often the most growth and transformation when we embark on this kind of work together with one or two other people or in the context of a small group. That's where we can hold each other, see each other, pray for each other, wrestle and talk. 
So I just wanted to share with you a short clip that um, from some people in our church that have talked about how small group Bible study has impacted their life and their faith journey. So it's about two years, two or three years into being in a small group when uh, we decided that you know we had kind of figured out how the small group thing worked, um, and that we had, we had kind of matured enough, we felt spiritually uh, and called to lead others uh, in a small group and to help grow the number of disciples that our uh, our church was was helping to produce, and so we. We got with the, the the leaders of our small group and said, "Hey, we're we love you guys, but we're thinking about uh, kind of branching out and um, uh, starting on them." My life has changed in the in, in in ways that are I can't even fully measure. Uh, this young adult small group has been great for me. Uh, it's allowed me to circle up with a group of people my age and get down into our faith and try to struggle through how we work through modern-day problems through the lens of the Bible um, and how do we really live in a convict like convictedly in our world because I feel like the church kind of has an age gap where at the end of high school you might you might have something um, but then until you have kids there's there's this huge gap and it's like well how do you live in this space and so for me I've had this group has allowed me to have a place where I'm guided um, and working through those same problems of being a young adult with my peers well, our 13-year-old daughter, she's in TNT, and she's in her small group. And then our um, 11-year-old son, he just started TNT, and he's in his own small group now. And they've seen us for the last um, 11 years going to small groups. So it wasn't wasn't much change for them because they see, you know, their parents doing it. So they're doing it. They've witnessed. Our, our commitment and our interaction in small group. And now they've kind of taken that as a, a cue uh, in how they should go about, you know, um, practicing their faith and, and being in small groups. But um, I think, you know, another thing that's really awesome is our oldest daughter, Brandy, and her family, her husband and her son, their son, just got baptized this past week. And while we definitely recognize that that's all God's doing and that's the Holy Spirit at work in their life, um, you can't help but think that, you know, our choosing Christ and being active in the life of the church, um, how that contributed to her decision to seek out her own faith. And now she's sharing that with another generation. We as a group, everybody all participants in the group are more than just people who are showing up. Uh, they're people who are coming and bringing something and providing something. And they're providing their struggles and their challenges, but they're also providing wisdom. Um, and we all get to get together each week and discuss that. Small groups are a great place to practice making disciples and being a disciple, because um, obviously we're led by each other. And so in my group, we take turns teaching each other. Um, I can't always be there leading, and so you know not everybody else can be there leading also, so we switch off. And so everybody gets to sit in, everybody who wants to gets to sit in that driver's seat um, and be the disciple maker. But then also, on top of that, we all get to learn from each other's different points of view. So we're teaching each other in that way. Being a part of a small group and then leading a small group helped us grow spiritually. And I think one of the ways that that really manifested itself was how um, when 
COVID kind of shut everything down in 2020, we decided to branch out and start a fresh expression of church in our local community. And so we started just meeting um, and worshiping together um, in a uh, in, in a in a community setting because you know, the church was closed. You couldn't come here. So having been a part of a small group really gave us the confidence to do that. And then that turned into that church working in the community down at Micah. It's a commitment by everybody. Um, it's not just the leader's job or some advisor's job or the person who manages putting all the food together's job. Uh, it's everyone and everyone's needed there. And that commitment, you're not letting yourself down by not being there. I mean, in a way you are, but you're really letting your you're a whole small group down um, by not being when, when you fail to show up and you fail to engage while you're there. You know, Ebenezer's not by any stretch like a mega church, right? It's not a huge, there's not thousands and thousands of people that are coming to worship services uh, here on Sundays. But it's big enough where you can sometimes kind of feel like a number, right? There's, there's just there's a lot of people around. Um, in a small group setting where you, you're studying scripture and you're learning, you know, you're learning about a particular aspect of the human heart and condition that you know is a part of your own brokenness, like you talk about it with people and other people share their experiences together. So it really feels like I am part of the church and this is a living body and it's okay to be, um, to, you know, to not, uh, to not be showing my highlight reel all the time, right? Not be perfect. Yeah, to be real uh, and more authentic and and feel a little bit exposed, but it's safe to do it. And the people that are there are there because they want to be there with you. They love you. And that um, that is why I think small groups are so important. It really helps you grow spiritually. Well, we thank Chrissy and Chris and Wes for sharing their experience of how small groups have been meaningful and transformational in their life. And I'm sure uh, many of you have similar experiences. And um, for those who are not yet part of a group, I hope that you would be encouraged to uh, think about being part of one because they really do help shape your faith. Um, they're places of encouragement and support and prayer and accountability. And in a society that, that we live in today, where it's increasingly difficult to discuss, to debate, to dissent even, and at the same time where people are suffering from illnesses due to isolation and loneliness, we know rates of anxiety and depression are on the rise, not just with adults, but especially concerning um, with our children and adolescents. These are things that are happening in our midst right now Small group discussion and study allows us the opportunity to be the church and to do things differently, to draw near to one another and to God in a society that is conditioning us to push away. God has designed us to be interdependent and to need God and one another. And this commitment to a small group study and to being in the Word together is a commitment that will change your life. It will hold you accountable. It will pray for you. It will bring meals to you when you're sick or you have a child. It will tell you things that maybe you don't want to hear. It will tell you things that you exactly need to hear. It will care and pray and show up 
and do life together with you. And most importantly, studying the Bible together regularly reminds us of who we belong to and why it matters. It will extend us God's love and remind us of the grace of Christ over and over and over again. It's why it changes us and transforms us. Coming up in just a few weeks, we begin Advent already. Advent is my favorite season of the year. It's purple season. It's the season that brings us into Christmas. It's a season of waiting and expectation. And our church will be engaging in a church-wide book study and discussion during that time. If you're already part of a small group, we hope that your group will be participating in this study. If you want to be part of a small group, we encourage you to join one. If you'd like to start one, even if it's just with one other person or two other people, encourage you to do that. You can find out more information about this particular book in our digital bulletin, um, or you can also talk to Pastor Jeff, who's here today, who'd be happy to share more with you. But we hope and we pray that you'll make room in your, in your heart and in your schedule to spend some time in the Word, in this book, with one another during this season of Advent. Our experience as Christians, our lived faith, is highly personal to each and every one of us. Each and every one of you created in the image of God, loved by God, been given special and unique giftings by God, highly personal. And at the same time, it is not meant to be an individual experience or journey. The commitment to studying the Bible with other people reminds us who we belong to and why it matters.